Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are our own, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are also my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you may have noticed a name just popped up in that intro of one Mr. Rich, who is rejoining this cast for what feels like the first time since before COVID or something like that. Uh, It might be 20 episodes since we've had Rich on here. He is still alive. Thanks for tweeting at us, asking if he's okay for proof of life. Uh, Rich, welcome back. Dudes, my dudes, (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. Um, John keeps me in his basement. Yes. Powering his home. Much like Lance Armstrong in the ESPN commercial, if I date myself there. For You're the just audience. on the CrossFit assault bike powering John's whole house all day? Love love it and love to be here. Okay. That's a new or, definition of off the grid or on the rich. Exactly. Off the grid, on mm-hmm. the rich. Or is it really rich? Did, did AI improve that much Ooh. to where he's not even actually here? Dear <laughs> listeners, I leave this to you to determine. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back, Rich. We've got a good one. Today's episode, we are joined by two special guests, Jack and Colonel Jake Pataro. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. I am not even going to attempt to do a bad last name introduction, Jack. So let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing here. Hey, thank you for having me on, everybody. John, Kyle, Rich. Uh, it's Jack Schweitzer. That's how you say the last one so that way you don't have to butcher it later on. So, um, I work at U.S. Cyber Command, the J-38. I serve as the senior technical advisor and the senior civilian there um, in that division. I'm prior Marine enlisted, uh, spent some time at 1st Radio Battalion and Mardet Quarry Station as a 26-21 instructor. And I'll just uh, leave it there. Awesome. And, and Jack, 26-21, that is signals intelligence, correct? Correct. Thanks. And Jack, I want to ask one last little follow-up there. Tell us what the 38 is. Yeah, so uh, the 38 is the Fires and Effects Division at U.S. Cyber Command. Um, In principle, right, it serves the same function as a joint fires element that you see in your more typical geographic combatant commands. And you could look at the joint doctrine of it, uh, JP3TAC09, which is joint fires support, and you would just have to translate it over to cyber because U.S. Cyber Command is bound to a singular uh, warfighting domain of cyber. Awesome, Jack. Thanks so much. Jake, can you give us an intro? Yes, uh, I sure can. Happy to be here. It's it's great to uh, finally uh, be able to be a part of your, your great podcast. You guys are providing a great service to uh, the community at large and increasing the knowledge across the across the span. Uh, Colonel Jacob Portero um, started my career as a aviator, F-18 uh, Hornet pilot, and um, made a decision to go back to school, Novell Postgrad School, and then uh, fought for a position at Marfor Cyber when they stood up Marfor Cyber. Came in roughly um, 90, number 90 or so on deck there, and then helped build out that um, that unit uh, and have held multiple staff and operational positions, both at Marfor Cyber, U.S. Cyber Command, uh, Marine Corps Cyberspace Warfare Group, even on our own cyber mission forces, so my background is pretty extensive on the Marine Corps side, as well as the joint side, working with Jack up in the Fires and Effects Division. Um, and right now I'm currently the director of operations for a little thing called the Joint Force Headquarters Cyber Marines and a U.S. Cybercom Task Force. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. 
Awesome. Thanks, Jake. And as all the hosts have served in the wing before, we have to ask the very obvious aviator question of, are you willing to share your call sign? Yes. Uh, call sign is uh, La Bolsa and it's LB for short. So I normally go by LB or Jake uh, for my friends and uh, you guys can use Jake here on this podcast and we'll go forward with that. Awesome. Thanks so much. So Jack, you mentioned that the the 38 was the fires and effects division. Is that something that you kind of made up at Cybercom or is that codified in a joint pub? Uh, what What's said about that? Uh, so the... The naming convention itself, um, that's actually a really good question. So the naming convention itself was probably done by my predecessors many, many years ago, predating Jake and I's time there. But from a function perspective, you know, we perform what a joint fires element does in alignment with JP3TAC09. Excellent. And that's the joint publication for uh, joint fire support. Correct. Excellent. So, Jack, for those not super familiar with what a 38 does and how it works at Cybercom, can you get, or, or maybe even a different geographic combatant command, can you give us an idea of what that looks like? Yeah, of course. So, I'm going to keep it as much as layman's terms as possible. Um, ultimately, I would summarize our function is just enterprise risk management, not in a cybersecurity sense, but at the enterprise level. And we're looking at risk management from you know military perspectives or military functions. You know the identification of risk, the likelihood of risk, and mitigating said risk, whatever that mitigating strategy is going to be. There are going to be two primary functions in JP three tag zero nine that I would say mostly align to us, and it would be preventing fratricide, translating that into the cyber domain because we're not dropping bombs or firing 556 downrange, and we're not worried about kill casualty rate, uh, radiuses or anything else like that. And then two, prioritizing the allocation of limited resources. How are they best suited to do the things we want them to do? Ultimately, a lot of what the J38 does is to put control measures in place to bound or mitigate the risk of U.S. Cyber Command's operations or its missions. So that way, commanders are risk-informed when they're making their decisions, and any risks are taken with full thought and full knowledge. There are a couple of deltas between us and other uh, combatant commands. Um, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind right off the top of the head is that um, in using targeting parlance, ATD, Advanced Target Development, that happens far further down echelon than, than what we do. Uh, our targeting boards are going to be different um, just based off the characteristics of the fight, how what our force laydown, force disposition is, and things of, of that nature, as well as when a policy intersects with our operations. And if I was a civilian or, or maybe a very junior uh, officer enlisted Marine and I'm listening to this and I hadn't actually been introduced to fires before, could either of you give me just a, a generic, like what is fires even? Yeah. Um, so do you remember, it's been like over a decade for me, but you have a sandbox and you're, you know, going over your schemes of maneuver and everything else, right? Uh, the best way to go over fires is, you have a sandbox, a three-dimensional cube, and you're drawing lines throughout that three-dimensional space to where who can fire where, who can go where, and when. So that way, 
you know, if you had Jake and his F-16 dropping ordnance, it's not going to hit, you know, an Osprey or something because it's at a lower altitude. Or you're not having, you know, M-777s, tube artillery, whatever the case may be, going into the flight path of something else or hitting a maneuver element, right? So the dissection of that three-dimensional space fires. I'm going to have to correct you, Jack, because that was uh, F-18s and uh, not F-16s, my friend. But to add on to, to, oh. to that piece, right? So Jack's spot on, right? When we, when we talk about putting the enemy in the horns of dilemma, right? Either I'm going to shoot you in the face or I'm going to drop Artie on you or I'm going to drop bombs on you or at this point I'm going to shoot HIMARS at you. Maybe I'm going to call in my naval um, gun liaison folks to – Drone strikes. To, to do some, yeah, we could do drone strikes too, right? Uh, that's that's on the future uh, or now, um, but it's 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 all of those things and fires. That's what fires is, right? And then what we are most concerned with is not just the synchronization of those fires, but the deconfliction, uh, like Jack said, to keep folks out of harm's way. Uh, and not to have either aircraft flying through big bullets uh, by the, the by the, uh, the those that shoot with the King's English, uh, our artillery brethren, um, and, and keeping as much uh, of our friendly forces safe as we can while bringing mass of fires onto target. Excellent. And Jack, I wanted to follow up with something. So you mentioned, as part of your explanation of the 38, you also mentioned the targeting process. Uh, can you give me a little bit of... Are those two separate and distinct things? How are they related? What, what should we know about uh, targeting? Yeah, so they are, I mean, you could you could say they're separate, right? Especially from a joint publication, joint, joint uh, doctrine perspective. Joint targeting, you have JP3TAC-60. Joint fire support, you have JP3TAC-09. But they're heavily intertwined. So we, the J38, we manage the targeting process on behalf of the operations directorate, so the J3, using the Napoleonic Code. And a lot of those decisions are going to be made at a J38-led targeting board. You know, So that's where you see in Joint Doctrine, the Joint Target Working Group, the Joint Target Coordination Board, JTWG, JTCB. And the decisions and recommendations or guidance is going to be given by the Target Validation Authority, a TVA, or a Target Engagement Authority, a TEA. Um, and then all of those guidance that goes into there. So from a future plans, future operations, and a current operations perspective, that respective decision maker is going to be given guidance or get, making decisions on the means in the manner in which a you know a target is going to be engaged to further you know meeting the the joint force commander's objectives and end states you can look at those boards as a gate right if you engage something you need to know how you engage it the measure the control measures limitations restrictions restraints constraints etc cetera, etc cetera, right a lot of those are decided at those targeting boards and if you're going to fire upon something, it's going to be a military target, which is also validated for engagement and onto a target list at one of those boards. So, Jack, Jake, conversation has been awesome so far, and here's why. We're talking a lot about fires in general and just good military targeting, target engagement authority, 
right? All these things that I think most military professionals are familiar with. They've, they've heard these terms, right? So I kind of want to start bringing in a little bit of the the uniqueness, I think, of this cast and what a lot of the, the listeners are, are going to be tuning in for. So we hear a lot of talk these days about kinetic versus non-kinetic targeting and fires. Is the targeting process the same for cyberspace, right, and other non-kinetic arenas as compared to the kinetic process for what most people would see in the other domains, land, sea, air, um, as targeting processes and TTPs? Can you just tease that difference out a little bit, or, or is it the same? Yeah, so I'll start, and then I'll kick it over to Jake. And Jake, it was an accident getting your, uh, you know, your platform wrong. Uh, it was not a shot at you, but ultimately, the U.S. Cyber Command for for the non kinetic things that we do, the cyber domain, uh, we follow the same process. When I say the same process, I mean DODI, DOD Instruction thirty three seventy, which is you know target validation, vetting validation standards that hold Dodi. Um, and we follow that. There are a couple nuances in there because, you know, we're, like I said before, we are bound to a domain. Cyber isn't geographically bound, right, in, in almost all instances. I think where a lot of the nuance and potentially some complexity comes into people's thoughts is when you look at it from the perspective of if U.S. Cyber Command is supporting Right. We will go through our targeting process, our fires processes, and then we integrate with another command, another uh, geographic combatant command, another combatant command, whatever the scenario is. They're supported. We're supporting. So then it becomes a question of U.S. Cyber. How does U.S. Cyber Command's non-kinetic fires integrate with, you know, another combatant command's targeting boards you know, targeting lists, ATO cycle, et cetera, right? Um, I think that's really the point of confusion for us. It's the same process. We follow the same DODIs, everything else. Um, but that's the biggest That's the biggest thing is what is that point of integration of kinetic to non-kinetic? You know, you could look at Cyber Command in a supporting role as a, a provider of fires, Um in which that point of integration would be happening elsewhere. Over to you, Jake. So I think what I'll add to this is, is, you know, Jack, you talked earlier on, you know, target development. I think target development is a little bit different um, based on what you were, you were talking about. Um, as far as the process goes for nomination, the vetting and validation, that that's the same uh, from, from my standpoint from what I've seen um, you have to take consideration like when you're targeting kinetic um, I guess aim points or targets whether they big big T or small T right um, you can layer right you may have cyber aim points or cyber pieces that are on top of that physical kinetic target right so now you have a layering piece which is why you have to have that conversation with um the other geographical map commands and you you have that um i guess yeah so go ahead jack uh, your uh, your comments jake just you know drew something 
out of me. And I think I'm about to finish your thoughts here, but um, not necessarily nuance, but something to avoid, right? When it comes to looking at non-kinetic fires, especially in a cyber sense, is that I've seen a lot of people get very myopic in their perspective, right? When you deal all day looking at, you know, the cyber layer, the persona layer, whatever you want to do, you are bound by a domain, you become very focused, right? Targeting is all about keeping a joint target from doing a specific functionality, right? So, you know, IT systems, you know, whatever acronym you want to throw in there, a joint targets and adversaries computers help them perform a function, they will likely have other means to do that function, right? So you cannot lose sight of, right, the actual end user, the end organization, whatever at part of the 5.0 acronym facility, individual virtual equipment organization. Um, you cannot lose sight of how they exist outside of the cyber domain, as well as when you look at the UCP and everything else, right, those geographic combatant commands, more often than not, will own the space, you know, meet space, use a cyber lingo, but they will own, you know, that is their area of responsibility. Acronym check, UCP, Unified Campaign Plan. That is who is currently in charge where. Yeah, so I'll, I'll add one thing in here. Um, so guys, again, I really appreciate you kind of going through some of the nuances there. Like, you know, you know, Jake, you talked about layering on, right, of different uh, of a target system, you're looking at aim points, right? You're looking at different areas of that target. You're layering effects against them that aren't just cyber, to your point, Jack, the integration piece. And I think that's what's key to kind of draw out here for you know some of the listeners, uh, because I know when I came into this space at first, I didn't have this full understanding right, of a target system in all of its elements. So you, you went full rage on the 5.0 acronym and it described what all those were. I thought that was beautiful. Um, but I just wanted to, to tease one thing out and then then I'll just shut up uh, and let you guys keep going on to the better parts of the cast. But this whole integration piece, I think is what, generally speaking, we need to be more awesome at inside of the USDOD and across geographic combatant command. So I would just say, if you're an audience member out there and you're listening and you're on active duty or in the reserve component, understanding some of the nuances of cyber is super cool. It's it's a uh, relatively new domain, right? But forgetting to integrate with your other uh, firing elements that are inside of these other domains, the traditional domains, land, sea, air, that's what I think makes firing and fires and effects so much more effective is when they're integrated across a multi-domain perspective. So I'll get off my soapbox there. And just, I just wanted to kind of call that out for a minute because like that is not intuitive, right? Like you could be an amazing cyber person and not really understand how Jake was launching certain things off his wing. But when you do those two things together, that's what makes the joint force super, super lethal. So I just want to say I've missed Rich on his soapbox so much. It's it's just, you know, it's been this fresh new thing, it feels like again. Uh, <laughs> Jake and Jack, I want, to, I want to pivot quickly because if there's one thing that we love on this cast, it's a really good publication. And JP360 is that in a nutshell. And we love when things are written down cleanly. But 
as always, when you start talking about kinetic fires versus cyber fires, things can get a little muddy. And so I wanted to ask for some clarification. Uh, inside the pub, it talks about two categories, deliberate and dynamic, and then two groupings under that, planned and targets of opportunity. Can either of you break down a little bit of how those actually apply inside of the cyber domain, or do they? Yeah, so, you know, as you said, starting from the top, we have two larger groups, deliberate and dynamic. The, uh, the essence between the two is whether or not you have a planned engagement action against the target. No plan to engage it at that current time. Dynamic, you have a plan, deliberate. Um, you know, an example of deliberate, on Tuesday, I'm going to blow up target X. Tuesday comes, boom, blow it up. Dynamic, you know, it has its own two subcategories, which really mean one, you know, one or two things is I know it exists and I have no plan to engage it or two, I don't know it exists. Right. And that's where we get into the two subcategories in my JP three tax 60 lingo might be a little bit dated. So if you have any fires warrants on here, I'm sure they're going to throw me a lot of shade, but I remember them as unscheduled or unanticipated. Um, but the, the names are intuitive there. Unscheduled, you know about it. You just have no plan to engage it. Unanticipated, you don't know. The thing about dynamic is you do you run through that fires, you run through that that targeting process in the current operations window. So 24 hours, 72 hours, whatever the case may be, you can build up any hypothetical boundary that you want. So if you were to come to me and say, in the cyber domain, is it realistic for there to be a scenario to where you have to engage something very quickly that you weren't planning on engaging or you have to, you have to figure it out and then engage it in 24 hours? My answer would be 100% yes. There, I wouldn't see why it wouldn't apply in cyber or in any other domain. I think the... You know, I think the where the nuance of the cyber domain comes in is that attribute. You know, especially when you look at it from a cybersecurity perspective, right? Attribution is ex will either one take a long time and or two be exceptionally difficult. Um, so this is where your friendly neighborhood lawyer comes into play. I know you had Captain Pete Piscucci on earlier, um, but Who's not the best. Really yeah. Not knowing who is doing what and to what extent kind of makes distinction and proportionality pretty hard. Well, Jack, that's literally why I asked the question, because in my mind, cyber is all deliberate. And if you actually run into a dynamic target in the cyber environment, do we, and I'm asking this as the layman who is not actively involved in cyber operations, do we have a responsibility to convert all dynamic targets into deliberate targets in a way that doesn't necessarily translate when I am flying in my F-18, Jake, uh, to blow up said bridge and I just so happen to see a column of enemy tanks on the way, like why wouldn't I stop and drop a couple bombs on those tanks? Because I can attribute that those are enemy actions or enemy actors in some way should perform. Where in the cyber domain, to your point, like when we had the, the, the judge, all caps, on earlier or the JAG on earlier, we talked about that sort of attribution is really tough in cyber and you have to have enhanced and really extreme in a, in a safe way, because that's the, that's what we should do is responsible cyber actors, uh, ways to identify who that you're targeting and what that you're targeting in so many different ways. Do we have an expectation that we should convert all dynamics into deliberate? 
Uh, I wouldn't say so. Um, because like using that vignette that you're using, right. You know, flying along, you see a column of tanks, you know, T-72s, whatever. You really want to blow them up, right? You look at the targeting cycle, allocation of resources. Um, somebody's going to have to make the decision to divert you, your platform, and your payload to engage a different target than what you're dealing with. So what it really becomes a question of, what is the risk of inaction versus the risk of action? And that's ultimately why you have targeting boards, is you have... Your, your J2, your J3, your SJA, whoever else that you need, given that scenario, in that current operations, you know, we're almost talking like cat, you know, crisis, crisis action team-esque here, right? They come together and they provide the best advice or military advice or recommendations that they, that they can. Um, it is hard, but hard doesn't mean impossible, Right. And Jake, it looked like you had something you want to add here. Yeah, it just goes back to uh, conversations that I know Jack and I have had in the past. Of you know, I, I think a place that we can mature in our space is the maturation of providing the appropriate targeting guidance, right? Uh, at the at the appropriate levels, um, identifying you know not just the proper placement on a restricted target list or a no strike list, but um, Jack's going to shoot me. Uh, you know, time syndicate of target list nominations. Um, but ultimately, you know, where's the... You, you would be a dynamic target if I'm following the notes. Correct, now. right. Or a dynamic target could be um, already approved types of things, right? So if I go out and I actually have a reactive attack guidance matrix, right? I now know I can hit um, tanks before troops in the open. So let's go in parallel uh, in whatever IP space that you've already identified. You know, I'm going to hit servers over, this is a really bad example, right? So servers over um, endpoints, right? We yeah, love bad It's example. horrible, horrible analogy. But you get my point, right? That's, <laughs> you got a whole platoon of servers that's advancing yeah, on your yeah, cyber whatever. position. Yeah, so, <laughs> okay, so uh, huh, you, you want me to break it down even further? We can go, I don't know, um, Domain controllers over DNSs. I don't go. Anyway. I, I think yes, Jake, yes. I think you should just say when it comes to attribution, I mean, if you're inverted at three meters and you take your cyber Polaroid, you, you can provide that to the judge. And that is an effect, I will say. And you, you talk about layering, right? So there's there's not just layering on um, kinetic, right? We're, we're getting into the point of Let's layer in the non-kinetic. How do I bring EW in to um, amplify cyber and or vice versa? And oh, by the way, how do I bring in messaging, whether it be a, a narrative I want to deliver or something to achieve uh, resonance in the cognitive space to actually have um, an effect in that manner, right? So put all of that together back to, back to Rich's point. We have Marines that have been doing this, have been wargaming this, have been practicing this since uh, probably 2012, I think, is the first time we sent someone out on the Marine Corps side to, to do that. And that was the instantiation of the fires and effects coordination cell concept. Um, and the Marines have been working that ever since. Um, we're making progress, but there are difficulties, I would say, um, if you really wanted to sync all of that up. 
and um, we're not shy to challenges. And I, I know our Marines will will get that down pat and uh, work that in a professional manner like we have uh, in the past. Yeah. So, Jake, I just want to throw something out there, too. Like, I know we're talking very, you know, we have an awesome amount of Marine experience, which makes my heart super happy on this cast. But if folks really want to get a look at some of the things we're talking about in real life that aren't really abstracted just from doctrine, like we're speaking about here, all you have to do is turn the news on or go to Google and type in Ukraine, right? You'll, you can see this happening from top to tail, things happening in the kinetic space, things happening in the non-kinetic space. And you can see both sides, whether it's Russian aggressors or Ukrainian defenders trying to use these capabilities against each other to, in, to engage in some sort of advantage that they can kind of move this, you know, the Ukrainians are in there, you know, what they would, what the West calls a counteroffensive. I think they would just call it an offensive. Um, but my, my point is, um, if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, how, you know, how can I like really put this into reality? Just type in Ukraine and start looking for non-kinetic and kinetics. Uh, John, I don't know. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Not only, Rich, are you spot on here, but you can also Google Ukraine for the previous time, too, because there are several great cyber examples when they first came into Crimea and and now the more recent time. Uh, you don't have to look much further than that. OK, so, Jake, you, you opened a can that I, I really want to kind of dive down a little bit here. So you mentioned restricted targets and restriction statements. I have heard this tossed around. It gets a little bit wonky and a little bit confusing. Please make someone make this make sense to me. Well, I can tell you the restricted statement uh, is basically target engagement authority has put a, you know, kind of a bounding, if you will, on whether or not you can engage that target. And Jack's going to go ahead and help me out with the uh, the restrict target list, right? Um, He'll, he'll give us the, the proper definition and I'll put it over to you. Go ahead, Jack. All right. So you have two primary target lists. You have the joint target list and you have the restricted target list. If, you know, you have a candidate, you know, a candidate target, it's being developed. It goes to the target validation authority. Yes, it's a military target. It will go to one of those two lists. The restricted target list is you know, where you'll find some of your restricted targets. I don't necessarily want to get into like no strike lists or anything else like that for this answer for right now. But if something is on that restricted target list, say I'm going to use the example of a facility, a building, say it's in a city, it will have a restriction statement. What that restriction statement will say is, you know, conditions that must be met. They could be coordination. They could be weaponeering. They could be, you know, coordination, synchronization by a time and space, whatever the case may be, that must be met prior to engagement. Is that that restriction statement will outline those requirements prior to engagement. And if a joint target has those, it goes on the restricted target list. And just to close the loop on things that you hear in the hallway, what is a JAPITL? So a JAPITL is a joint integrated priority target list. And how is that different from what we just talked about? From a current operations perspective, right? I have, you know, is it a list? Say if I have an ATO day, right? 
I have it's, you know, H plus three. I can, I have the platforms and the capabilities to engage 20 targets. The Chapitol would be that list of 20 plus targets. I draw the cut line. I've already allocated prior to that point. I've already allocated my platforms. I've already allocated my ordinance. And then those are the sorties for the day. Okay. Kind of in priority order. These are the things yeah. we're going to go after. I'm rounds complete. <laughs> uh, there's no version of this cast where you can't just throw random fires terms in there like that, John, and uh, it not be funny to certain people on the call. Um, so uh, I, I'd like to kind of move us in uh, a little bit of a different direction. So we've talked about like the targeting process. We've talked about types of targets. We've talked about restrictions on those types of targets. We've talked about layering targets, you know, from a multi-domain perspective. But, you know, um, Jack and Jake, I mean, you guys are at a jig a geographic combatant command itself, whose job it is to support the other geographic combatant commands transregionally across multiple domains. Like, can you talk a little bit about that as a challenge and and how each other geographic uh, combatant command, you don't have to go through all of them, but like provide maybe an example of like, how they do their targeting process and is it different? Um, Cause it sounds like it's not, but so to be even more simple uh, in, in this question, cause I just kind of dorked that whole thing up. One, can you talk about the differences of supporting other geographic combatant commands with their processes and how you integrate And two, just talk about the challenge of doing that being the uh, geographic combatant command that has to support all others in the domain that you are an expert in. Yeah. So great question. So as, as I, you know, as I said earlier, you know, primary function is risk management, manage the risk, uh, manage risk for the director of operations, you know, for the joint force commander, whoever it may be. So we are going to manage our commander's risk, our director's risk, whatever the case may be. So more often than not, you will have a scenario to where you'll have dual validation. U.S. Cyber Command has its own target list, a GCC, a Geographic Combatant Command, or a Functional Combatant Command, depending on, you know, what, whatever the circumstances are being, they will manage, they will have their own target list. Because we have two different commanders managing their own risk with their own forces, their own authorities. So, you know, that is how it's going to, to occur. How another combatant command were to say dual validate something cyber command validated, you know, that is going to be upon their own organic processes, their own risk calculus, whatever the case may be. You know, it is incumbent on a commander's staff and components to ensure that the risk, the work is good, the risk is accounted for. Now, to get back into my earlier point about being myopic, um, it would be an ideal situation to where what two combatant commands have validated, looking at both from a kinetic domain and from the cyber domain, were the same thing. Because if you have a very cyber-centric target, you have disassociated it from the physical thing that it helps do its function, which another combatant command would then track and incorporate into its plans and subsequently engage for following assessments, restrikes, et cetera, et cetera. If there's a disassociation there, 
the assessments get screwed up, the synchronization in time and space gets, you know, a lot more difficult. And it just becomes a massive pain in order to do that from a planning perspective and from an operations and assessments perspective, because more often than not, you're going to be talking to somebody who has little to no experience in cyber, doesn't understand the nuances. And then you're walking through, hey, this, you know, this network, it does all these things. It does in all these places. It's tied into X, Y, and Z and crosswalk that with 15 facility targets. It might be a little difficult. So Jack, you mentioned pain and I was like, you know what? Let's make it more painful. So tracking everything you're talking about, about kinetic, non-kinetic, maybe Cybercom has the same target that insert GCC target has. And just like you talked about, uh uh-oh, both trying to fire on the same thing, kinetic, non-kinetic. What happens, or I have to assume there's a time where there are cyber aim points that do not just align to one geographic combatant command. I would imagine that increases the pain that you just mentioned. Oh, it most certainly does. Um, You know, a lot of things about paragraph five of an order, command and control, can become a a massive pain, um, especially when you're talking about, you know, essentially what could be perceived as a rice ball war. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're shooting in somebody's backyard, it's in your best interest to coordinate and make sure that they're good with it. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's also a two-way street. You can't cyber a cratering hole. So when you look at, you know, a follow-on crisis conflict model, you have to be prepared for the reciprocal situation on are my operations and my equities going to be valid once kinetic starts rolling. Yeah. So I just want to throw something out there too, again, because I think like you guys are definitely um, leading in this direction, kind of beating around the bush a little bit. And I just wanted to like, again, just, just call something out um, that I think you guys would agree is important. So, you know, we, we've been talking a lot at the geographic combatant command level, right? And so for, for those who are unfamiliar, we're, that is three and four star level land, my friends, right? And so for, for the Marines on the call who are like, hey, I'm in fire team one, squad blah, platoon X of company Y in, you know, battalion uh, in the Marine Corps, make this relevant to me, guys, right? So I, I think ultimately what I'd offer here is that this concept of... Um, joint integrated fires is very similar to combined arms, right? Which most Marines understand. And now with, you know, how the rest of the joint force is fighting, almost everybody understands this across the joint force, right? That, you know, Jake mentioned, put the enemy on a horns of the dilemma with multiple weapon systems, make them decide no matter what they do, they're going to get killed or risk is going to go up if they make a certain move. So what I would say to folks out there who are thinking like, okay, we're talking about four-star and three-star land. How is this relevant to me? The answer is walk over to the folks who aren't your specialty and ask them, you have a target that you've been tasked with. How can I become more lethal against that target or put people on a horns of dilemma, an adversary on a horns of dilemma using capabilities you're unfamiliar with? And I would say, 
cyber is one of those new capabilities you should be thinking about weaponizing to make yourself more lethal. Um, so sorry, guys, for again, I think, Kyle, what's that, too? If you're keeping score, that was two soapboxes. Um, so I apologize for that, but I'm just trying to want to tease that out a bit because sometimes folks can get very, you know, um, cerebral at the four star level. But but this is real stuff. And again, if you don't believe me, Ukraine in the Google search bar. So I'll jump in. Right. So, Rich, I, I think you make a good point. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, the Marine Corps force design revamp that's ongoing that has been ongoing right is really tackling some of that right so we've stood up marine information groups right and we have battalions underneath them and we have specialties and skill sets uh inside of those migs marine information groups again that have that expertise that can bring that to bear right we have um our our anglico units we have the fires and effects coordination uh, cell. We now have, uh, I want to say it's a IOC, the Information Operations Center. I think most MEFs have those, right? And and once we bring all that in, that the same role exists, right? The, the role is to bring everything to bear that the commander has at his disposal, whether it is organic or whether it is knowledge of a joint capability that he can then reach out for, request, and coordinate uh, via timing and sequencing for his operation, right? Are we like masters like we are of kinetics in putting all of it together? Um, we're getting there. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to just take a little bit longer, you know, some more maturation, some more wargaming, um, and a little bit of discovery learning as we go, right? To, to get there. Um, but we're getting there. Awesome. So um, even though I was the one who <laughs> uh, took us from three, four star land down into, uh, you know, NCO world back on the Marine Corps, um, I want to take us back up for a second. So when we talk about um, geographic combatant commands, we're really talking about the military, you know, national capability right, to bring to bear in a really bad situation against an adversary. But the U.S. government isn't just military people, right? There's something called the interagency. Um, so all these other, you know, U.S. government departments that either are inside the DOD or not. So, you know, Jack and Jake, again, can you help us in the audience understand, you know, you probably have a part in the J38 and managing those relationships with the other part of the U.S. government at that like really high level, um, you know, up and out of the COCOM. Like, what does that look like? Like, can you help us kind of understand what the non-DOD interaction looks like, you know, across the U.S. government? Yeah, I'll, I'll start and then I'll kick it over, Jack. So realistically, you know, you guys deal with it every day on the podcast, right? You're trying to break things down. Hey, no acronyms. One, <laughs> explain it. Let's put it in layman's terms. And, and you have to understand that a lot of your interagency partners um, may not have a military background. And so you need to be able to speak um, common language. Um, I'd say almost all of the time uh, to, to ensure they understand what exactly you're trying to do. Um, 
Now, be uh, I guess the next piece I would say is is just be cognizant of, of their perspective, right? They have a job to do, and and they also have um, a piece of the U.S. government's um, ends, ways, means, right? So you guys are going through top level school. You're talking about ends, ways, means, and uh, and all the things of national power, right? So um, diplomatic information military economic right we are just one part in the dod um of that of that instrument you know instruments of power piece right so understand that we're all in this together to win usa gold medals and explain it to them in a way that they can understand and then take it to their leadership and explain it to their leadership so that leadership's understanding of um what we're trying to do and what the risk is um, for the decision makers to make the decision. And Jack, I'll kick it over to you. Before you do that real quick, I want to jump in here. It's something that I've definitely learned from my experience, and I hope uh, you all don't have to repeat this. In our own departments, inside the Department of Defense or others, you know, we kind of have our own culture, our own vernacular. One thing, just like in IT, a pattern that keeps repeating itself is we take the same word and use it multiple times, and... Jack and Jake spent the last 46 minutes going very deep on exactly what these words mean to us. Do not be surprised when other people use these exact same words and they mean different things. Be very, very careful. I'd highly recommend, just like Jake mentioned, kind of resetting. Hey, when I say targeting or a target, to me, this means this. You would not you would be surprised to find out it does not mean the same thing to everyone. Yeah, those um all those points are catastrophically correct. Um, <laughs> so, but, okay, that, that segues for us then. I mean, <laughs> what recommendation do you have then for the type of officer that finds themselves in this very new interagency relationship that only has ever worked inside the Marine Corps or their specific branch of a service? Like, where's the decoder ring that we can use on this? Or what, what, what advice do you have for those folks who are dipping their toe in the interagency water and need to be successful? Um, my, my advice would be is who is more often than not, you, you might be able to find somebody who can speak the lingo or understand the basis of con concern or a thought of that interagency partner that you're interacting with. Um, because you're going to have to find that shared lexicon. You're more likely than not going to have to find that middle ground, that compromise ground or be able to articulate things in a manner in which that they can understand. You need to have a vast amount of patience because you should just assume the person asking you what might be trivial or asinine questions, they're just a middle person asking on behalf of their boss or their boss's boss or their boss's boss's boss who has no idea what an IP address is or what a military operation is. Um, Right. If they if they hear target, they might think of five O. They might think of an IP address. They might think of, you know, the the department store. Who knows? Don't make those base assumptions. Um, my example of, you know, how do you gain that background? How do you give that insight? Like if you're talking with Department of Justice or the FBI, it makes sense to talk to your legal counsel, your your SJA to get an understanding of if they start saying Latin phrases at you, what does that mean? And should you even respond? 
if you are stalking to a State Department employee and they're talking about a particular policy precept or whatever the case may be, you know, if you have a poll ad, that's great. If not, you know, depending on the particular thing, if there's a, you know, if there's something going on in the world like uh, Jikpoa, the Iranian nuclear deal, right? Understanding the context in which they're coming from will go through leaps and bounds. Um, it's really hard to say. Like, I can't say, you know, go to a, de- a definitive source because, you know, if you, you know, some of some State Department employees got a, a JD, a Juris Doctorate at Georgetown as a Foreign Service Officer, and people go to law school to talk legal things. So it's more about how well you can build that interpersonal relationship, demonstrate that emotional intelligence, be honest and forthcoming, because you're you're both working at a disadvantage trying to get that as Jake put it, that USA gold medal, you just have to overcome what's functionally communication barriers. You don't need to overthink it. You don't need to overcomplicate it. It's communication barriers. If you can dissect where the priorities are not aligned or what if there is conflict, that's what we all have bosses for. I was, I was going to say, just be prepared to, to understand that there's, there's different perspectives, right? Their, their organization are going to have equities, um, and if you come close to those equities, they will they will let you know, um, and just be a good human, right? So they are doing the best that they can at their job, just as much as you're doing the best that you can at your job, and as much as it may be uh, frustrating at, at times, you're both trying to um, end with a common goal, right? Um, go ahead, Rich. Sorry. Yeah, no, I just so just perfect. Like you guys are just, I love this. this is why I love the casting. Uh, but uh, so your comments are, are spot on. All, all I was going to say uh, to just kind of echo Jake for a second here uh, is, you know, and we'll put, the, we should put this, what I'm about to reference in the show notes. So um, we'll do that. But uh, it's a video clip. And uh, since we're talking about gold medals, I mean, why not talk about the miracle on ice for a second, right? So the, the one scene that is best to characterize what Jake just said is when they're doing their ice drills back and forth and the coach only lets them stop after he asks, what team do you play for? And I think that's extremely important to this conversation. When we talk about the interagency, you play for the United States of America. You don't play for team rich team, Kyle team Marine Corps, right? You play for the United States of America. And I think that is like the most relevant comment I could bring with my experience talking to people in the interagency. And I heard a really, really experienced Marine today say the first time your brilliant idea comes out, shouldn't be on the table in front of everybody in the middle of a crisis, if you can avoid it. Right. So if it's not a dynamic target, which you haven't planned for, and it's just popping up, you should have that conversation in a pre-planned way. And to bring a DevOps term forward, right. Planned and unplanned work. You should try to make planned work a thing right? So that you can be on the same team with everybody else across the interagency. And uh, to, to Jake's point, you just don't look like the typical Marine coming into a non-DOD meeting, right? With 
I want to break stuff. I want to hurt people. Everybody knows that already because you have Marine written across your head with your haircut and the way you walk and talk. You don't need to make it that blatant. But uh, but again, Team America and Kyle looks like you got something you want to mention. There's two things here. The first is a heck yeah, which is assume positive intent. Feels like a lot of what we're talking about here, right? If you want to be successful, the way to do that is not to establish a silo amongst yourself. The way to be successful is to go communicate and to go coordinate and to make sure that you are deconflicting before you have to actually deconflict your fires in, in so many ways and shapes and forms, right? Like, like go be a good human. I love that, Jake. The second thing is that Rich is really dating himself. So just so that everybody is clear, there is a 2004 movie called Miracle, which was originally based off of a 1981 TV miniseries, which is originally based on the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team victory over the seemingly invincible Soviet squad, uh, starring Kurt Russell, Patricia Clarkson, and Nathan West. Links to the IMDb page in the comments. You probably should watch it. It's a pretty darn good movie. Um, as much as I can say that about any movie produced in the 1980s. Well done. Okay, gentlemen, for, for our final question for this cast, uh, and this can go to either Jake or Jack or both, preferably both. So I'm an officer with orders to work for one of the two of you, either in the 38 or at, at Marfor Cyber in your fire section. I do not have the background. Obviously, I listen to this podcast because, of course, that should be your first stop. What should I read? What should I watch? What should I listen to to get myself ready to come and step into your world to make sure I'm as prepared as I can be? All right. Well, obviously, the pubs that we were that we mentioned, right? So three tech sixty and uh, was that three tech oh nine, Jack? Yeah, three tech sixty, three tech oh nine, three tech twelve. If you can, if if you can make it a joint targeting school or the mobile training team that teaches uh, some of those courses, if you have no experience at all, then you can do that. Um, talk to your friendly neighborhood artillery officer or combat arms uh, experience guru. Right, so those that have done it can at least give you some of the uh, ins and outs. Um, that's what I would say for the targeting piece um, for the more uh, what can I do right so we, we had conversations of how do you integrate all this stuff in what are some of the ideas like um, I would look at some of the fiction um, novels right of what's possible right you hear authors like, like your ghost yep, fleet. ghost fleet right so that or um, Damon or freedom right so I I have a favorite like if someone asked me hey what do you want to what what do you recommend to read um, just to get the juices flowing, to see what's in the realm of the possible, I recommend Daniel Suarez as an author. Um, total great fictional series of, uh, of books that he has, not just cyber-related. There's some stuff that talks about CRISPR, CRISPR technology, and then you get into automation and, and um, machines, machine learning. Like He's got a great, a great depth of, of different um, storylines. Um, I would just read those just just to get your creative juices flowing. If you want to actually come up with something crazy on the battlefield, uh, something you want to like aim for talk about kill chain esque, right? Go with those. And Jack. All right, chance. Well, I'm going to throw out some um, general things. I'm, I'm hoping these are going to be books that have not been or material that have not been referenced before, but if you find yourself coming to the 38, um, you know, you'll have to do a lot of critical thinking, probably outside of the box. So I'm going to open up 
with um, the first book being our, uh, you know, We Are Bellingcat by Elliot Higgins. If you're not familiar with Bellingcat and the open source reporting that they do um, to give you an idea of just the vastness of information that's out there, um, you know, when it comes to the private sector or civilians, what, what they are able to amass with enough time and expertise. Um, if you're not familiar with Bellingcat, they're the ones who uh, track down the, going back to Ukraine again, the Malaysian Airlines um, shoot down, uh, I think it was 2014, uh, trace it to a, a Russian book. Um, that was Bellingcat. That's the creator of the organization going over it. Because you'll find yourself in the cyber domain. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about like communication, interpersonal skills, things like that. One book that I felt that it's really helps me was called Neuro Tribes by Steve Silberman. Um, so it's a history in the future of neurodiversity and of autism. I think that's really helped me from a management and an interpersonal perspective. Um, so I can't recommend that book highly enough. Moving last but not least, um, two books when it comes to big thoughts, big policy, how do we fit in the big picture? Uh, Arms and Influence by Thomas Schelling. Uh, it's, although it's nuclear deterrence, nuclear strategy, things like that, it's great to read with a cyber persistence theory by Dr. Emily Goldman to look at how is cyber an instrument of national power. And then when it comes to back to Ukraine again, um, The Russian Understanding of War by Oscar Johnson. Um, is another phenomenal book talking about the Russian evolution of military doctrine, hybrid war, asymmetric war, you know, what's really going on with the Garris mob doctrine, things of that nature. I could go on and on and on, um, you know, PRC books by Frank uh, Dick Cotter. He had a good series about the People's Republic of China, the Communist Party, uh, phenomenal reads. I could keep going. So I'll stop there. All right, reading list provided by Jack. We're going to have a link to all of his books in the show notes. By the way, that was awesome. Seriously, guys, that, that was awesome. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good list of books, Jack. I haven't heard some of those, so I'll have to write those down, uh, at least get them from the show notes myself, just so I can continue my own education. And the, you know, I did have an alibi, right? So maybe not something you can do before you get on deck, but definitely once you do get, get on deck or you're in that space, grab your, grab your neighborhood lawyer and understand what the authorities are, right? And um, be able to speak backwards and forwards on those and understand what those are such that when uh, the crazy ideas start to come out of the woodwork, you can at least um, temper down the expectations uh, and provide realistic expectations of leadership on what is viable, uh, realistic, uh, and feasible. I want to second that. That is the first thing I did when I took command, and I am certain it saved my subordinates hundreds of man hours of work by having that conversation. I cannot stress enough how important that is. Kyle, it is that time. Yep. Give us your hot, hot take. Okay. Um, I'm, I may not say anything here that is shocking or revolutionary to anybody who's on the cast right now, but hopefully this helps somebody. It's very difficult in a kinetic world to launch a piece of something at a something. It requires a lot of humans who are involved in the three-dimensional geospace that is the world that we operate in. And I want everyone to realize that doing that in a cyber environment is many times harder than doing that in a physical environment. And you're often operating with folks who have 
non-traditional cyber backgrounds and who may not understand the non-kinetic effects of what's going to happen and how that may synchronize with kinetic effects. And that's not that anybody is incompetent. It's just that, hey, y'all, this stuff is complex, right? Like we are talking about launching offensive or defensive capabilities with things you cannot see and you cannot touch and that will have ripples in consequences that you may not be able to predict. So just again, assume positive intent, do your homework and go into this respecting the complexity of the system that you are interacting with. Dear listeners, thanks for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson, and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review and accompanying comment. You might even mention how much you're happy that Rich is back. Who knows? And with that, we are out. Bye, everybody. <laughs>